Welcome to episode number 46 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for creating a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's we are talking about the potential cost of a dust explosion incident. And to do that, we have on the call Chris Justo, Director of Industrial Projects and Combustible Dust Safety at Hallam ICS. They're based out of North Carolina. This is Chris's second time in the show, and I want to say thank you and welcome back to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. So we had Chris on the call last time in episode 22, where we talked about the common mistakes in addressing combustible dust hazards, we talked about failure just to appreciate the gravity of the hazard, how big it can be, tolerating poor performing dust collection systems, not recognizing electrical hazards, and then we, we moved into non-compliant explosion venting and forgetting to include isolation systems. So I'd encourage the listeners to go back and check out episode 22 for, for some of his background and that great topic they were talking about before. If you're listening to this, as they come out, you'll know that you can get to the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 22 for that episode. But if you're listening to the future, this is your first time listening, then, then that's the hint how you get to that episode. So it's just the website slash 22 or whatever the episode number is that you want. So Chris has been doing a lot of work early on in this year and throughout the rest of this year on education and awareness around combustible dust safety, a lot of work on dust hazard analysis. And I actually recently went to a, a live webinar they did with Hallam. And it covered the five benefits of completing a dust hazard analysis. So in the, the webinar, he actually walked through um, the five benefits that, that he sees. And that was regulatory compliance, developing a, a dust safety strategy, a combustible dust safety strategy, avoiding a catastrophic or a cascading incident that could cause large loss, and plant and personnel safety. And then the one that really sparked my interest was the fifth benefit, which was that you couldn't afford not to. So we're going to have the link to the webinar in the show notes that you can go check out there for this episode, which is 46. Um, I'd highly recommend that, but I wanted to get him on the call today to talk through that in more detail. What he did in the, the presentation and what we'll go through is really, he sort of worked up a, a, a potential cost or theoretical cost of a dust explosion incident, picked out the different components that might happen from you know facility losses, legislative, legal requirements, restitution insurance, and a bunch of different things that maybe uh, you might not be thinking about. I thought this was really great to get out to the community, go to the broader community, start working out what does this actually cost. And it's also good for health and safety managers if they're looking for material to use to talk to their upper line managers or their facility operators or the, the people that are above them in the, the chain or beside them in the chain to kind of convince them about combustible dust safety. So that's a little bit of the background. We covered your background a bit in episode 22 of the podcast, Chris, but can you just briefly explain what your current role is with Hallam ICS and um, a little bit of what you're doing on the education and awareness side? Sure, yeah. So as Director of Industrial Projects and Combustible Dust Safety, I kind of have two areas of focus, as the, the title implies, but what I do in both those areas of focus is, is the same. And I'm, I'm responsible for business development, I'm responsible for project management, and then sometimes I actually get to do real engineering work. So I wear a lot of hats and uh, pursue work and manage projects and execute work related to industrial facilities and combustible dust safety. And we mentioned this in the last episode, but you, have, you actually have quite a, a long and lengthy background in industries handling dust, industries handling combustible dust. And although um, you, you, you may be trying to edge in the technical work today, sideways to get in with your other priorities. Uh, you have quite a bit of experience in this background. I know from talking to you um, personally that you desire to be on the technical side. It's really what kind of lights you up, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. And, and in fact, related to that, I guess, um, 
you know, the combustible dust side, we do DHAs, but, but what we really like to do and what I really enjoy doing is the engineering for the mitigation work. You know, you can, especially with existing facilities, uh, you can get into a situation where you're trying to address hazards and it's not as simple as just adding a, an explosion vent, an isolation valve on a dust collector. You know, sometimes you have to look at relocating equipment. Sometimes you have to look at, you know, you've got space constraints, you've got, um, other hazards in the area and it, it can get complicated. And, um, that's, I, I think what I personally enjoy is, uh, helping make these existing facilities safer and, uh, working through the engineering and, and coming up with cost-effective ways to help people address those hazards. Certainly. And we've talked about that a lot on the podcast is it's really a, a specialist topic, this whole explosion protection design, explosion prevention design, fire prevention, fire protection, I mean, you really should be having somebody come in that that is not just only knows your facility, but knows your whole industry and is able to make um, smart recommendations that can actually push the needle on safety. So really important role. And yeah, I mentioned the webinar that that you put out through Hallam. This is only a couple of weeks ago at the time recording. It's live and plays on the website now, so people can check that out if they want. And again, we'll put the links in the show notes for that. But in, in terms of today's topic, we're talking about the potential cost of a dust explosion incident. So in the slide deck and when you went through the webinar, you had all these different components of what the cost might be. Could you just give us a breakdown of what those, those might be? And then we'll start digging into individual ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there were, there were six primary costs that, that I identified and, and kind of walked through through the presentation. Uh, so the first was fines, uh, regulatory related, uh, fines from OSHA typically, or, you know, whether it's state or federal. Increase to insurance premiums, lost revenue for downtime. Typically, you're going to have uh, your facility or at least a production line shut down for uh, a length of time after an explosion or a substantial fire. Uh, injured workers uh, compensation. So whether that is, you know, medical costs or, or, or reimbursement, um, kind of fall into that category. Rebuilding costs to rebuild the facility, uh, replace damaged equipment, et cetera. And then uh, the final cost, which has the potential to be the most expensive, I think, is, is lawsuits, um, whether that's injured workers, their families, uh, first responders, or uh, even you know, local residents or, or local community. Uh, we've, I think we've even seen a, uh, a community or a town that uh, tried to recover some of their financial expenses for, for first responders responding to a combustible dust event. Yeah, we've seen we've seen all those costs highlighted and getting the numbers is an important part. I, I think you took some of the, the information we collected from the incident reports um, and also some information from groups that are doing work in this area like the NFPA um, loss statements and maybe some of the insurance loss statements as well and kind of collected that up with those. So I think you had, we had six that were mentioned. So we had fines, insurance, um, downtime, injuries and compensation, uh, rebuilding costs. And then we have this kind of lawsuits outlined as, as another area. What are the biggest ones from, again, we need to keep in mind this is sort of theoretical um, and it, it depends really on, on how big the incident is. But from what you're looking at, what uh, what were the biggest costs that you found? Yeah, so I, I think the one that has the potential to be the biggest I mentioned is is lawsuits. Um, and And that can obviously depending on the 
the number of people involved in the number of lawsuits and the extent of, of damage or injuries, I mean, that can, that can reach into the millions. And uh, other costs, uh, of course, are also going to be, you know, proportional to the size of the event. But um, I think lawsuits have the potential to be the biggest. Second and third to that, I think, um, I, I would say, it, at least with the, the theoretical um, example that I used, was um, probably lost revenue for downtime. And again, that'll depend on the nature of the facility and the length of the downtime. And then um, third, I guess, would be either rebuilding costs or you know, additional medical expenses and things for injured workers. Okay, so let's let's jump into a couple of those. So I think we can kind of briefly talk on lawsuits. I hear some sirens in the background. It sounds like maybe a fire is going on um, in in North Carolina while we're here. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was going to get picked up on the audio or not, but um, we're actually our office is right down the street from a hospital, so that happens a couple times a day usually. <laughs> That's not a problem. I apologize for that. No, it's, it it adds some uh, it adds an effect to today's today's topic. I think. <laughs> So we'll, we'll talk a bit about lawsuits, um, and then I'll, we'll go into some of the other parts because lawsuits, again, they could be small, they could be very large. I'll just name a couple of notes that we've seen. So in South Sioux City on May 29, 2018, in Nebraska, there was a, a grain silo explosion or grain elevator explosion, and it actually it we we show pictures in the incident reports of this, but it, it basically leveled the silo, but it was still standing. So there's a giant hole sitting in the middle. Um, the city had to evacuate. I think two dozen residents for a period of maybe four weeks or something along those lines while well, they figured out how to tear this thing down because they didn't want to go you know putting um, a wrecking ball to it or anything because they were scared it's going to topple over and it's quite large later on that year earlier this year actually i believe it was the city actually did um, come back and, and sue the grain elevator owner for the cost of that whole restitution the cost of the demolition and that was a large loss incident in terms of there, there were two injuries and one of those injuries were fatal. So very, very large explosion. Um, and in that case, there was uh, legal from legal implications from the, the city and from the municipality. Um, we've also seen cases where, and, and I want to highlight this one because it's important um, just to identify where liability may lie. So we've, we've seen in the last two years cases, very large lawsuits, I think on the order of millions of dollars. And something like one third, one third, one third fault was found with the facility owners, with the equipment manufacturers. It was a case of a explosion protection equipment was installed, but maybe not installed correctly um, or didn't work correctly. So the facility owners were found liable, I believe 33%. The equipment manufacturers found liable and the equipment installers were found liable. Uh, so that's a you know another big case and it shows that the liability does really sit with, with all, everyone that's involved from the technical side to creating the equipment to the facility owners. So this is a couple of cases. And then obviously there's public requirements. We had this in, in Nova Scotia in 92. There was a coal mine explosion that took the life of, lives of several workers here at Westray Mine. I believe there was an eight-year, uh, both a criminal trial and uh, and then eight years around um, financial loss to, to that company. Or anyway, it bankrupt the the company. So there's you know, there's all these lawsuit sides, and that really wasn't the top or the the main topic of this episode. But we don't want to highlight some of those. Moving into the lost revenue, do you do you have any sort of estimate on what that might be? You gave sort of an example in the, the webinar of a a company generating X amount of revenue, and then just what that might be for a, a kind of daily loss. 
Yeah, sure. So for, for my example, I assumed, I assumed a, a, a facility that does about $50 million a year worth of revenue. And, you know, if it's a 24 seven operation running 50 weeks a year, then that's a million dollars a week in revenue. And you can back calculate that down to, you know, days and hours. And, um, for the, for the case of my example, I assumed three days of downtime and, uh, which is, which is on the small end. And, and I mentioned in the webinar too, these, these assumptions that I made for this example were intentionally on the low end because, uh, I didn't want anybody thinking that I was trying to exaggerate to, uh, to prove a point or to make things sound worse than they really were. Um, and, and, you know, as we talk through some more of these numbers, I would, I would ask folks to keep in mind, I, I intentionally made these examples on the low end of the scale so that it's very easy for people to imagine how much worse they could be. Um, so, so for my example, three days of downtime was almost $430,000 in lost revenue, uh, for, uh, you know, relatively short window of downtime and a kind of a, you know, moderately sized or mid-sized, uh, facility. Yeah. I'll add to that. I mean, three is, is probably on the small side. If you have a properly protected using, um, say explosion venting piece of equipment and you have an explosion in it and it's, it works as it's supposed to, everything's protected, ran a escalating catastrophic loss. Nobody's injured. You're still looking at a day of downtime, unless you have a vent panel that you can install right there, but you still need to get the vent panel to your facility. And so you're looking at, at at least a day, uh, maybe half a day at the very fastest, but at least a day to to reinstall something that's properly protected. Now, if it was improperly protected, you're you know you're looking probably at least three days of downtime for that piece of equipment. If it's critical in your your line, then you're going to be probably looking at more downtime. Um, and I'm sure there's cases where, well, I mean, there's cases where a whole facility has been lost. So, <laughs> um, but there's, I'm sure there's facilities where there's been weeks and, and, and even months of downtime. Right. So, you know, if, if somebody listening is a facility owner or operator, you know, they probably know what downtime costs them per hour or per day, or, you know, however they like to look at it and, and they can easily figure up what that number would be for them in the event of, you know, if they are shut down for a week or a month. And, uh, you know, if there are specific areas in their plant that they're concerned with, or maybe they realize aren't properly protected, you know, they can make a much more educated guess for their particular facility as far as, okay, if this piece of equipment were to have an explosion, what would the implications be and how long would we be down? So again, you know, this is completely theoretical, but, um, I had to make some assumptions to try and to try and give some perspective, which was really my goal with this. I think that's a conservative estimate um, for that size facility generating that revenue. Um, so I think that's a good number. So we have four hundred thirty thousand around just lost downtime. Again, that's a three day downtime for a, a fifty million dollar annual business. Uh, if you take the averages, uh, we mentioned some other costs like rehabilitation. Do you have any sort of round figures on that? So for rebuilding costs, the the number I used for my example was $100,000, which again is, you know, probably pretty conservative given the range. Um, and I actually relied on your combustible dust incident report to come up with this figure. And I looked at uh, the data for North America for 2018, because that seemed to be kind of the, 
seemed to have the most information as far as uh, the number of incidents that had actually reported uh, damages. So looking at that data, obviously, you know, it, it's a huge range, right? So you have some that are, you know, maybe fifteen or $20,000 worth of damage, and then you have some that are multi-million dollar. Um, so to try and pare that down, I looked at uh, kind of cost ranges and, and split those up. And what I found was that 69% of these incidents that had reported how much their damages were were in excess of $100,000. So, so that was the, the number I picked as it's kind of the bottom of the vast majority of incidents have at least $100,000 in, uh, in damages to the facility. Yeah, especially ones involving explosions. Um, well, actually, we found that the fires even had the really large loss, like uh, $10 million and above, generally had a, a large fire component as well. But yeah, those numbers are fair. I think the, the thing to keep in mind is that um, we, we generally don't have the information. So those are probably low as well, because <laughs> you took the average, you're, you really just took the, the large loss, added those together, the ones we could find, and divided by the total. But in reality, the, the large loss is probably underestimated. There's probably many more that are a million dollar or more loss. Um, and we're trying to figure out ways to come up with better numbers on that. That's what we have today. Uh, that's the verification validation of the instance that we put in the instant report. Um, that's why we list everything on the website as unverified and, and open is we're hoping to come back around and start to close those and get better numbers at the end of the day. But with what we have today, I think that's a, sounds like a fair estimate. So we have uh, rebuilding costs. We have something around the lost revenue. Um, so we're at a, about 530,000 right now. What else is there that we should be including? What are some of the other big numbers that might be looking at? Uh, so the, the next one that I put in the big category was uh, injured workers compensation. And, and typically uh, from what I have seen, anyhow, that's gonna come into you know medical costs. So I, I picked $200,000 for uh, my example, but uh, a stay, you know, it, uh, stays in a burn unit. If you have, a, you know, a burn victim with second or third degree burns over a large percentage of their body, that often involves at least weeks, sometimes months, in a burn unit, multiple surgeries, and uh, costs there can exceed a million dollars per person for for an incident like that so in 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 my theoretical example i had assumed that one person had been injured um and that they had burns but you know we're expected to make a full recovery and uh, so that was where i picked two hundred thousand dollars as uh you know the medical expense related liability that the uh, facility might be on the hook for no that makes sense and of course we would we would hope that this doesn't happen Things that are protected safe. Um, I'm I'm actually gonna probably towards the end of this compared to just in my head give a rough estimate of what the cost probably is if the thing was protected and didn't escalate in that. So keep that in mind. But we'll, so we have the three large costs here. We have we have downtime, we have rebuilding costs, and we have rehabilitation and injured worker cost. Were there a couple other smaller costs that we should consider that that would really add to the total potential? Yeah, sure. So we, we've touched on four of the six that I picked. So the other one, uh, the first one I mentioned is uh, fines or penalties. And, and those can vary. And those are also kind of contingent upon how many violations a facility gets cited for. 
Um, so I used federal OSHA numbers because that was what I had readily available. And a serious violation penalty is the, the standard fine for that is $13,260. And for my theoretical analysis here, I, I assumed one serious violation penalty. Uh, again, that's probably on the low end of things because if you have an incident like this and you do have uh, an investigation, OSHA is probably going to find more than one thing to cite that facility for, and there'll probably be multiple penalties assessed. But for the sake of argument and a conservative example, I assumed one, one violation. Uh, another thing to consider there is a willful violation penalty, which is 10 times that amount, I think almost exactly, it's it's almost $133,000 for a willful violation. You could be looking at that if there's a circumstance where ha hazards have been brought to the, the company's attention in the past and nothing was done about it. Perhaps there's been a, a previous OSHA investigation and and penalties levied for, for hazards that have not been addressed. Um, that that's where you can start looking at, at the willful violation penalties. And those are obviously much more substantial as they should be. Yeah. I just pulled up a post that we looked at on the, um, Didion milling, and this is still an open investigation. I think they're still looking at it. I'm not sure if it's marked as op open with OSHA still, but I think it might be. Um, but we just reviewed the penalties when they first came out and, uh, the total there is 63,375 for, for serious violations. And then 1.7 million for willful violations. So again, Chris, Chris is picking the low end of the number here, 13,000, but it can go up um, by by one in two orders of magnitude. Um, we'll include links to that uh, post on Dust Save Science in the show notes as well. I think you mentioned one other cost, which was the possible insurance premiums. Was that also on the list? Yes, that was on the list. And um, I do not have really good information or, or data to work from to, to make an assumption. So for, I wanted to mention it because I think it's an important consideration, but I didn't actually include a number from that in my, my theoretical calculation here. I know, uh, you know, it, well, probably everybody has experienced it at one time or another or known someone who has a, a car accident and your car insurance rates, you know, take a hike. So, you know, insurance premiums for any given facility I imagine range greatly depending on the nature of the facility and and uh, you know how hazardous the materials are they're working with and processing. But um, you know I, I would imagine you could be looking at you know ten twenty thirty percent or so increase in your premiums, maybe even more than that. And um, I, I mentioned during the webinar if there's any insurance industry folks who are listening, uh, I'd love to get some information or, you know, have a brief phone call with you just if you can shed any light on uh, some ballpark figures or particulars around those numbers, just uh, so I can kind of round out my my example here for future reference. Yeah, I think that'd be great. If you have more information on that and you're, you're listening, we'll have Chris's contact in the show notes and you can you can find him there. Insurance insurance groups have, have been a hard one to to find people to talk to around combustible dust because um, we've tried and we're still trying. So if anyone has is a sort of an expert in this area um, and works in the insurance side, I, I'd invite you to uh, to reach out to me as well at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. It would be great to get the insurance perspective on combustible dust safety, on fires and on explosions. Um, that could be something we do on the podcast or something we just have a, a telephone conversation about. But uh, like Chris, I would, I would second that as a, 
something that would add value to our understanding of the total cost, our understanding of the, the landscape a bit, and also give the, the correct ammunition for the folks on the front line that, that they need to, um, to maybe uh, to get movement in some facilities that are, are more resistant to change than others. So we went through quite a, a, few, a few different things, actually. I went through a bunch of the losses that, that could possibly result from a combustible dust fire and explosion. I went through sort of the range of all of them. If I just add the numbers up, I've say 430,000 for the downtime, 100,000 for rebuilding costs, 200,000 for injured worker costs, around tens of thousands for fines. Again, those could be much higher. Um, assuming there's no lawsuits and, and ignoring the kind of insurance premiums, we're still looking at 700, 800,000 just for the sort of markup that we have here. And I think that was close to the numbers that you came up with um, in the, the webinar that you gave as well. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So the the total I had was was rounded off to eight hundred thousand dollars, and and for the lawsuit component, I assumed that there was only one lawsuit involved, and it was settled out of court for fifty thousand dollars, which again is is probably on the low end of reality. For but you know, for the sake of argument, that was that was the assumption I made. So yeah, that's I mean that's as, as good an estimate as we can have today. Um, we'll probably we, at Dust Safety Science we've been trying to reach out to companies that have um, went through this and and see what they're experiencing as well. Um, so there's there's lots more to be learned. This is just sort of a first cut or first guess at trying to figure this stuff out. So one one thing you mentioned in the the webinar um, that wasn't on the financial side was the benefit of completing a DHA, a dust hazard analysis, is really to develop a combustible dust safety strategy. Are there any other financial benefits to, to having a, a dust safety strategy put in place at your facility that maybe don't fall under the incidents, but would would in, would reduce costs or increase efficiency overall? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and you hit on it right there. It's uh, it, it has to do with efficiency of implementation and uh, and lowering the costs. One of the things I touched on, I believe in the webinar somewhere along the way was um, facilities have, have sometimes tried to address these hazards without having completed a DHA. And I'm, you know, I'm sure they do this with the best of intentions, but, but what can sometimes happen is they end up addressing issues in the best way they know how uh, without uh, evaluating or or sometimes understanding the other implications of of addressing that, you know, and and the example I gave was, you know, you have an, an outdoor dust collector that isn't protected, and they know, okay, if I had an explosion vent to this, then you know, venting is is an acceptable means of protection. Okay, so they add a vent, they check that off their list, and think that they're protected, when in reality you know, they've overlooked isolation. And if they have an event in there, it can still, you know, the fireball can still travel back inside the facility and create uh, secondary explosions or, or fires. So there's, there's that, the, the false sense of security in, in having addressed hazards that, that maybe uh, are still, or not recognizing hazards that all the hazards that needed to be addressed. And that really is, is the heart of a DHA, right? Is to identify all the hazards and especially the ones that that people didn't realize existed, and that's why, you know, you you take a step back and you walk through everything methodically to see, okay, where are these hazards and and what are they and what have we done or what can we do to protect against them? So so developing that strategy allows you to be 
thoughtful and, and, you know, plan out thoroughly how you're going to address them. And, um, that allows you to be more, you know, more efficient with it. And, you know, you can plan, you know, if you need to schedule downtime to address some of this stuff, maybe you can address uh, multiple issues in one downtime window instead of taking care of one now. And then, oh, by the way, we figured out we had this other one later. And, and now we got to have another shutdown to be able to fix this issue. It just, you know, all the way around, you start with that DHA, you can develop a plan, you know what you're doing, when you're doing it, how you're going to do it. You can budget accordingly, and it just allows the whole process um, to be planned and and flow uh, as efficiently as possible. And you know that you, you minimize downtime, you have a clear uh, path of direction for your staff or your contractors, you know, whoever's doing the work. Yeah, so that, that that's the biggest financial one, I guess. I guess. Um, other ones I would touch on would be um, just kind of the and putting a number on this would be even harder I think than um, than what I attempted to do with my example for the webinar. But uh, kind of the the bad PR, so to speak, of of having an incident and and more shit if you have an incident where people are are injured or killed, you know, people see that, people in the community see that, uh, you know, you could. It, it could result in uh, difficulties hiring people if you know they don't feel safe working there, or a place gets a reputation for being unsafe. You know, there, there's all kinds of kind of less technical implications that could end up affecting, you know, the the profitability of a business or or their bottom line. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's important. Developing this combustible safety strategy will make your working conditions more efficient. Um, might result in higher employee morale. Certainly, if you, you have a strategy, you can get more done in your scheduled housekeeping downtime or your scheduled downtime for actually performing safety acts. So it, it could be housekeeping cleanup. It could be um, lubricating machines or, or wherever the different parts are of that. I mean, you can avoid being shut down by your authority having jurisdiction, your your fire marshals, your building inspector, inspectors. Um, so those are all kind of you know other benefits to have this program in place. I uh, very, very much encourage, and um, the date was mentioned in in your webinar, uh, September 7th, 2020 is the, the NFPA 652 deadline for having your uh, dust hazard analysis completed. Um, so that's a, a really important thing to continue to look at, continue to educate on. And I just say, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the, the podcast today and just talk through this, this kind of mock-up or, or workup of the potential cost of a dust explosion incident. And I, I look forward to the chance to get you back on the, the podcast at a future time to continue this discussion. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to do it. Um, I think it's important information to to get out there and and help give the folks who need it some perspective on why we're trying to do what we're doing to to make these places safer. Yeah, I would agree. So thanks again, and I look forward to the chance to to talk again soon. Likewise, Chris. Thank you. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney, and Chris Justo, Director of Industrial Projects and Compostable Safety at Hallam ICS, based at Rayleigh, North Carolina. We've been talking about the potential cost of a dust explosion incident. So we kind of took different chunks of different pieces that we thought might be there from Chris's work from the dust has um, combustible dust incident reports that we were releasing. Um, identified some of these pieces, so things like fines, insurance increases, um, rebuilding costs and downtime, rehabilitation costs and injuries, and lawsuits, and tried to stick some numbers to them. Again, these are estimates. We tried to keep them, well, Chris tried to keep them on the, the low side, but we did talk a bit about how any of them could be 
increased by an order of magnitude and how the cost of this could be um, enough and in some cases does bankrupt companies. So it is it is a liability from that front. I would say, so we came up with a number about 800,000 just for our rough um, example. If you were properly protected, so had isolation in, installed, um, protection installed either through venting or through suppression, um, and you have an explosion, which is inevitable in a thing like a dust collector where you have the five sides of the explosion pentagon or cyclone, it's really inevitable at some point you're going to have an ignition source in there and you're going to have this happen. So it needs to be protected. If it's protected properly, you're probably going to go somewhere between 12 hours to 24 hours of downtime and have a new bottle put on for a suppression system or a new vent put on. Um, and nobody's injured. There's no escalating loss. And that's kind of what you're looking at. So you're looking at the cost of a new vent or a bottle. So you know, at least an order made to lower and in some cases uh, negligible compared to the other the other costs that be associated. So I encourage anyone who's interested in dust hazard analysis, interested in the work that Hallam's doing to, again, check out the, the webinar that they did. The five benefits of completing a dust hazard analysis will include in the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 46, um, a link through where you can go in and rewatch that webinar live. I really appreciate Chris coming on, taking his time to, to talk through this topic again on the podcast. Hallam is a, is a Dust Safety Science member company. Um, they do a lot of great work in dust hazard analysis, and they also do a lot of great work in engineering design, installing and helping to design uh, the strategies for combustible dust, but also getting the equipment that you need and putting that in as well. So I highly recommend anyone who's interested in that area to reach out to Chris. Um, you can find him either through, uh, through Hallam's website or at the show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 46. We'll have his contact information there as well. So as always, I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I'm really looking forward to keeping to bring experts from around the world that are talking about combustible dust and appreciate the work that you're doing in these industries every day. 